Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Scripture reading today is from the book of John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, and verses 35 through 41. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Amen. Uh, Good morning again and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. It's it's funny, Eric said, uh, since you know, we're trying to be innovative with our peace of Christ, um, the, the, he said to, uh, you know, the, the pointer, and so I just thought of the, the shooters, and so I don't, don't know if that's the best way to like, hey, 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 but that's kind of what I went with today. Um, I also echo uh, the, de- uh, highlighting the diaconate, um, they are um, the people on the, on, the, on the ground floor, they're the people who are meeting the needs of, of those in our church. So please reach out to them if you need them. Um, welcome again to our live streaming and our in-person worship. We are um, been going through a series looking at uh, Phariseeism, how to deconstruct it, but then how does Jesus reconstruct individuals as well. And today we get to one of the most, I think, central problems of the human experience and that is how do we deal with bad things happening to people? That's what it comes down to. How do we deal with bad things happening to people? If God is good, doesn't he want people to be happy? And if he's all-powerful, can't he fix what's broken? So if God's all-powerful and all-good, then why are things the way that they are? I've talked with a lot of folks over the past seven months, a lot of folks that I've that, I mean, I could be wrong, but it seems like I'm, we're seeing a lot of cancer. We're seeing people's parents die. Uh, last week, 
a friend of, of, my, of our family, um, there was a, a young son. He was playing board games with his sister, and he keeled over unconscious and died. I mean, these things, you can't, you can't even make them up. They're, they're so raw and so hard, it actually almost stops us from even wanting to kind of go there and deal with these things because of uh, how we are impacted by them. Because at the end of the day, they come back to the same, same question, the one-word question, why? Why? I remember back when 9-11 happened, um, the, there was something that went on television. He started saying that, I made a pronouncement. He said, the reason why this is happening is because this is God's judgment on America. And actually, the Sunday after 9-11, um, at a Redeemer worship service, a TV crew from this person's television program tried to come to Redeemer and film everybody that was there. And literally, my mom shooed this person out, and this, this TV crew out, and said, you're not welcome here. But why is it wrong to make that pronouncement, right, to say that this is God's judgment? Why is that wrong? That's what our text today gets at. But we have to, I think individually, you all should try to work through how do we handle when bad things come, right? How do we handle disappointment? How do we really get to a place where we can coexist? Maybe it's not the right word, but to, to be stable in the midst of hurt. So let's look at three things today. What brings about blindness from our text? What causes real blindness? And then what heals blindness? All right, so what brings about blindness? What actually does cause blindness? And then what heals blindness? So first, what brings about blindness? And if you go into our chapter, right off the bat, the disciples, and we learn later, the Pharisees, they were walking along with Jesus. They see this blind man from birth, and it prompts this question, verse 2. And the question is, who sinned to cause this blindness? Was it the man himself? They had two options, the man himself or his parents. Now, the assumption, of course, was that if something has happened wrong, someone deserved it. Right? You, you might um, say, okay, they're, they're making a tight association here between the question of sin and then suffering. But a lot of you would say, wait a second, why is, how could it be this guy's fault? If he was born blind, how could it be at fault? And the, the going assumption back then was he must have been born blind because of something he would have done later on in his life. Or if it wasn't him, it was maybe something the parents did or something that they would have done, and that's why he's blind. And so what ends up happening is... Um, we, we look at this, we go, wow, these are really religious people that had this kind of crazy assumption. But this term is thrown around all the time as well. Maybe not, um, maybe not term, but this assumption. How many times have you heard people say this? That person is, deserves to get what they're getting. Or that person doesn't deserve what they're getting. The concepts of karma, the concept of, of fate, is very prevalent in our culture. So you don't have to be religious to hold this. If you even say, and I know a lot of you have said that person doesn't deserve this. This person does. That's a judgment pro- proclamation that you're giving right then and there. And this is because I think it's very human for us to believe that if, you're, if you do something wrong, you deserve wrong. And if you do something right, you deserve right. Uh, this, goes, this is, I think, in the fabric of our culture. Go to the Sound of Music back in 1965. And one of the, the key 
songs there, the lyrics reads like this. Nothing comes from nothing, nothing ever could. So somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. See, what, what is that? If someone's a bad, they deserve bad, but I must have done something good because, look, good is happening to me. This is why I think people say, well, listen, I live for God. I'm doing the right things. He owes me. This is, by the way, I'm trying to get at, it's this assumption that's at the core for why I think so often we get angry and we get confused when things don't go right, when things are not the way that they're supposed to be. Because under the confusion, under the hurt, I think if you peel back some of the layers, the realization that's going on is that we're actually far less in control than what we thought. See, when it's a simple binary, when life is simple, hey, I did good, so good things happen. Oh, wait, bad things are happening to me? I must have done something bad. There's like a lever on and off. That makes it easy. But it also allows us to feel like we're more in control of what's happened in our lives than, what, than I think what's really going on because the world is a lot more complex than this, isn't it? And the world doesn't actually operate this way, does it? That the problem is life just doesn't work this way. There are so many examples of wonderful people who have terribly hard lives. And yet there are also examples of terrible people who are having wonderfully easy lives. See, I think we like the idea of believing that the wicked will get it in the end. But if you look at just history, time and time again, they live great long lives. While many people who wouldn't hurt a fly, they die anonymously like a vapor. So that's why if in the past seven months you've lost your job or if you've gotten sick or if something goes wrong in your relationships, if it's like when we're waking up every day, like it's Groundhog's Day right now in this pandemic and it just feels like it's never ending. What's happening, that's, it's that, when bad things happen, it's that concept that why we keep saying, why is this happening to me? So if you want to know, so what I'm trying to do here is when you say, why is this happening to me? What's the origin of that? This is why. And what Jesus does is he comes in here. He comes into this assumption and blows it up. Look at verse 3, the next verse. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. It's like, just like that, he snapped. He's like, he's like hey, that, that binary that you have, that's not how it works. Right? That, that's not how God works. That's not how life works. Which then, of course, pushes us back. Wait, if Jesus is right then we're back to square one. Then the question still comes to us, why is he blind? And for that answer, if you want the biblical answer, you have to go back to the very beginning of Genesis. And what you see there is two things. One, the world was created good, but fallen. Good, but broken. And I really wish more Christians would keep this tension, because I think a lot of times we don't. That if the world was actually created good, then there's a lot in the world that we should keep. There's a lot in the world that's worth fighting for that, that is actually something that we want to hold on to. At the same time, it's broken, it's fallen, which actually keeps us from, from being naive or, or, or thinking that we can actually at, at somehow create a utopian society. That's, that's not going to happen. Therefore, if you hold on to both good but fallen, and you fuse it with living in the, when, while we're living in the world, Romans 8.28. This verse is a, is a very 
important verse. Now, by the way, if you're hurting, if you know somebody's hurting, you should never say this verse to them. Because um, context matters. Even though it's a true verse, you have to know where people are. But it's still a perfect verse because it says this, God works all things for the good of those who love him. Now, that's a very hard thing to hear when you're actually hurting yourself. So be careful in how you use that verse. But if you take the world as good but fallen, but God works all things for the good of those who love him, then that means then the world isn't what it's supposed to be. The world isn't the way it should be. That it's hard, it's hurting, it's fallen, it's broken, and yet in the darkness, in this hurt, somehow God will work bad things for good. Now, I know that's, a, that's actually a much more super complicated and nuanced view of suffering. But that's why when Jesus shows up here and says, this man is like this so that the works of God might be displayed in him, look very carefully at that term. He's actually not giving you a reason, like a full reason at least, for the blindness. He's saying God's going to use it for good, right? And in this case, how? Well, he's etched in the Bible for all of time for us. But... Although it's bad, God uses it for good. And so here's a thought I had this week, and and it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. What if Jesus is actually saying, I'm not going to give you a full reason because there might be actually 100 million reasons for why things happen. This This is the thought I had. This past summer, my father got cancer. That's a bad thing. And he's going to die from that cancer at some point in his life. That's a bad thing. And Almost immediately when he got diagnosed, within a couple weeks, he, I actually drove him down to Bethesda, Maryland, to a clinic to get um, some tests done there. And while he was down in Maryland, he stayed at a, one of his friend's sis, non-believing sister's home. And when he left, by accident, they left some theology books there. And uh, this non-believing sister, a couple months later, came back saw these books, started reading them, and now is like, I want to hear, talk a bit more about Christianity. I, I want to, I, I actually, you know, want to come to faith, so to speak. And so the question is, is, what, is that the reason why God allowed cancer so that, by the way, my parents didn't like by accident leave the books and go, oh, <laughs> just left them here. No, they actually did, but it was by accident. But is that the reason? I don't think in and of itself that's enough of a reason. What if there's lots of reasons. Maybe cancer is in my father because the world's broken. And because death is here. And because God is at work through it. And because it, it's going to be somehow God's going to be glorified through it. And because my father has actually deepened his relationship with God through this. And because I've been challenged, to ch- my assumptions of how the world works has been challenged through it. I mean, there's a, always another because. There's a lot of reasons for why things are happening. And so I, the challenge for us, I think, is to realize there might be a hundred million reasons for this. Why pick one? I don't think we should. The world is broken, and it's broken because sin has entered the world. And so sin in general causes suffering in general. But what Jesus is saying here, he's denying that any particular sin causes suffering in particular. That's an important concept to get. In general, sin enters the world, and, and that's why the world's broken. But you can't, you can't take a particular sin and definitely trace the suffering in particular back to it. Therefore, if the world is broken, 
instead of saying, well, this is why somebody's getting this and that. No, no, it's broken for everybody. And so the biblical view of suffering, I think, is much more complex, but I think it can actually be more stabilizing. Because now instead of falling down some stairs and kind of shaking your fist at God and say, why? Now when we fall down some stairs, we know there's probably 100 million reasons why. Because the stairs are broken. Because you're a doofus and you're broken. Because there's something else wrong in the world. There's 100 million reasons. And we're never going to get down to the depths of all those reasons. That's important. You'll never know all the reasons why. But it doesn't mean God won't use it. Jesus says here that the works of God might be displayed. Will you allow the works of God to be displayed in your life through the suffering of this world? Because I think that's the only answer that I know of for for us to be able to make it in this world. All the other answers about suffering stink. I'll just say that. The secular view, that this is all random and this is all just the way it is, that trivializes your suffering. Buddhism says it doesn't really exist. It's all, it's all, you know, in, it's all imaginary, right? Your desire has led to suffering. Hinduism says it's karma. You're, you're suffering from past, past lives. All these other reasons don't let you be able to say suffering's real. The world's not the way it's supposed to be. And while we might not know why it's happening, it can't be that God's not going to use it. That's the Christian view. Therefore, if suffering was not brought on, by either this man or his parents, we're actually still back at square one, then why is this person blind? What causes the real blindness? So let's move on to our second point. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. And you have to skip down to verses 35 through 41. Here's where we realize that Jesus is actually more concerned with a different type of blindness than just physical blindness, right? If, you, if it was just about the physical blindness, he would have left the guy. But no, he pursues him and says, no, there's another blindness here. And, he, 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 and you can tell who it is because the Pharisees say, are we blind? And Jesus goes, aha, <laughs> yep. You think you can see, but you're blind. In other words, you thought his sin led to physical blindness. But the truth is, your sin has actually led to spiritual blindness. What does Jesus mean by spiritual blindness, right? Well, as you know, when we see, what's happening when we see, when we use our eyes We are actually perceiving the world as it ought to be. That you're using your ability to view the world in its reality. So spiritual blindness means not really seeing reality as it should be. So I think this shows up in two ways. Spiritual blindness means there's a lack of knowledge of yourself and a lack of knowledge of God. Those are the two things I think spiritual blindness points to. First one Lack of knowledge of self, it goes like this. 
Somehow in your life, you're like, okay, Mike, you're, I agree, world's broken. No, that, that's, nobody's going to argue you, argue you there. But to be spiritually blind means you might see yourself as flawed and blemished and imperfect, but you haven't actually really perceived your utter need of him. That you're not just broken. You're, you're, there's a corruption at your core. And I think you can, this is how this plays itself out. There's a human tendency to always you know, play up other people's problems but play down your own. That we blame other people for their actions, but, but our actions have, have nuance. You know, the, the, they're evil, I'm just complicated. <laughs> that, that, sometimes over the same exact issue. One of my good friends um, lived in London. I, I worked with him um, long ago. And um, I called him up, and he was actually in the hospital. And I was like, what, why are you in the hospital? And he sends me a picture of himself. Uh, you know, through, you know, I think via text or something. And it's a picture of him. His face is bloodied. It's battered. It's his swollen eyes, big gash in his head, blood crusted on his face. And I'm talking to him like, what happened? Did you get in a bar fight? Like, what, what's going on here? And he said, no, I was riding my bike around my neighborhood, and a car came out of nowhere. I wasn't wearing my helmet, and this is what I look like now. And so I hung up the phone after that. You know what I did? I got my helmet. And I started wearing a lot more when I went out on my bike. Now, did the statistics of the danger of riding my bike change between the phone call when I, before I picked it up when I ended it? No. Did the reality of the danger of riding a bike change? No. What changed? I saw it. I experienced it. I had a new perception of it. And because I saw that experience, I was different. So what spiritual blindness is, it prevents you from moving from the intellectual understanding of your sinfulness and need to an experience of that as an utter depravity and a lostness without him. That it needs to become real to you. And so let me try to help you. How do you do this? You have to do the self-perception. You have to look inside and say, how am I? As I, ought not, as I ought to be. How am I that I'm not, what am I doing that isn't what I should be doing? Like we need, it needs, we need to look at our motives and ask ourselves, why do I do what I do? And drive us into a deeper experience that we aren't where we should be. We can't get where we need to be. And you don't have what, what you, we need. Now, some of you say, oh, that's, uh, uh, that's that, that brings about low self-esteem. Don't do that. But I'm not, I'm not talking about you know, self-esteem. We're talking about realism here. Getting down to the truthfulness of sitting with who you are. And if you do that, and if you really, 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 really do that, you will begin to see the light of your need your self-centeredness, your, your, your selfishness, that the actions that we do on a daily basis end in me. And that full lack of desire for him, when that finally becomes real to you, only then can a knowledge of God come into your life, our second thing here. And that can bring about a movement of grace. So let me say this very carefully. The depth of your reception of grace is proportional to your need of it. I'll say it again. The depth of your perception of grace activating in in your life is proportional to your need of it. 
if you only think that you are this sinful, I'm like, ah, I'm like this much. I'm this much in debt. Guess how much grace you get? This much. However, if you're like, no, 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 (laughs) I have some crazy needs. I have some crazy debts. Guess what ends up happening? That's how much grace you get. That's how much actually fills you up. And so, so many people I talk to on a, on a daily basis are like, oh, I don't feel God's grace for me. I don't feel it. But more often than not, what they're really saying is they don't actually have a deep sense of their need for why they even need the grace in the first place. That's what's hap- actually happening. Sarah and I got in a really big fight uh, years ago. It's, it was such a big fight, I actually still remember it because we said some really hurtful things. I said some really hurtful things in that, in that fight. And um, when she forgave me, and this was like a couple, this took like, this was over a couple days, it's like one of those kind of fights. When she forgave me at the end, um, and when she said, I still love you, and I extend grace to you, I was so thankful in that moment. Now, was I any less intellectually thankful to her than before the fight? No. But I felt the grace more because I knew my need because of what I had done. And if I could get that from a human, if we could get that from human relationships, imagine to the degree that you see your need, how you would feel grace from him. In other words, let the free, the only way you, you want the free-flowing grace of God the beauty of his love will cascade into your heart to the degree that there's a depth there of need for it to fill your heart. And then, only then, will it move you. See, grace is just a theory until it's a necessity, then it becomes life. Grace is a theory until it becomes a necessity and then it can become life. When I was a college pastor, again, years ago, you don't remember every um, student that kind of that you interact with, but this guy, the first time I met him, man, he had it all figured out. He was like, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to take, get these grades, and I'm going to go to med school, and then I'm going to have this money, and I'm going to have the life I've always wanted. And he was just going on and on and on. It's one of those types of meetings where you sit there, and you're not, it's not a dialogue. It's a monologue. And he's just going on and on and on, and when he was done, I was feeling a little bit salty. So I stood up. I kind of was like, Sounds like you got everything all figured out. Well, I don't know why you're sitting and hanging out with me. I don't know why you need this sort of community of misfits, so see you never. And, and um, he was like, what? He's very perplexed. He's like, wait, what? And I was like, yeah, I don't, clearly you don't need to be in relationship here, so see you later. And I actually didn't see him for years. And one day he actually came back. It was, I was very surprised. And he came back, and he's like, I need to meet up, Mike. Let's hang out. And, and he sits with me, talks to me about how his girlfriend broke up with him, about how messed up how he is, how all the, the decisions that he's made. And when he finally took a breath and stopped talking, I was able to look at him and use Jack Miller's words and say, cheer up, you're worse than you think, but you're more loved than you hoped. And I just said, let's just sit in that just for a second. Cheer up. You're actually worse than you actually are thinking right now, but you're more loved than you hoped. Those only come slammed together because your debt is bigger than you thought. The worse you realize that you are, the more you see that, the more stupendous is grace. 
is, and he will give it to you, and he will give it to you. He'll give it to you. So what's stopping us from this? Jesus says in verse 39, uh, this is a hard term. He says, for judgment I've come into the world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Basically what he's saying is, is those who, who are blind, who know they're blind, they will see. It's those who think they actually are seeing things and perceiving things well, those are the people who are really blind. In other words, if you're successful, if life has gone favorably for you, you probably have a tendency to think that you see well. Because, hey, look, I've, I've been able to make, figure out reality. I'm, I'm a successful person. But that means the people who are most successful and powerful, they're more likely to be blind. Right? Because you feel pretty good about your abilities and things have worked out for you. This is the problem, though. The most successful people in the world are the least able to see their need for God's grace. Because here's what it comes down to. The only blindness that can't be cured is the one that you can't see. That's the problem. The only blindness that can't be cured is the blindness you can't see. Why? You don't go to a doctor unless you know you're sick. So you don't come to the gospel unless you know your need. My grandmother, she had cataracts towards the end of her life, and she was going blind, and she had trouble seeing because of those cataracts. The only way for her to stop going blind was for her to admit that she was going blind to go get help for him. And so before we move on, I guess we have to ask ourselves, will you ask yourself, to what degree do you know you're blind? To what degree do you know your need? To start to see is to see that you don't see. That's, that's what Jesus is trying to get at. And so last point, what will heal this blindness? Go back to verse 35, right? This man's already been healed physically, but that's not the full point. Now in verse 35, Jesus is looking for this man. He's seeking him. He finds him. He goes straight for the jugular and says, do you know who was the one who did this for you? And the man said, no. Can you tell me who it is in verse 36? And when Jesus reveals himself, what does he do? What does the man do? Does he go, hey, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Here, put it there, buddy, and walk away. No, it says that he worshiped him. And this, if, this is a profound thing because back then, for a Jewish man to put his face to the dust on the ground before another individual, this was actually punishable by death. But he sensed Jesus was more than a man, and so he worshiped. Worship, what is worship? It's bending your heart, your mind, your body towards someone or something else. Spiritual blindness is caused by worshiping the wrong thing. Jesus here shows that spiritual sight comes by worshiping the right thing. And to the degree that we worship, to the degree that we give ourselves to him, to that degree will we start seeing things clearly. Right? So what, why? I'm going to try to say this very clearly. Worship heals blindness. And when I meet, and I, I know Eric earlier said that's why we're here. Worship is bestowing worth. But we're not just saying sing more songs, you know, come to church more regularly. We're not saying that. That's part of worship. But what we're trying to get at is giving all that you are to all that he is. And that would give you moral, purposeful clarity about everything else in the world. Because worshiping him first means that you won't worship your kids first. You won't worship your job first. You won't worship your comfort first. Even though kids and jobs and comforts are actually really good things. But only he deserves worship. 
If you live, and you probably are, living for anything else in this world other than God himself, you will be blind at some level, not just to yourself, but to the world. The more you worship him, the less you end up worshiping these other things. And so how, how do you heal spiritual blindness? See him. Worship him. Be with him. And then you won't wake up when suffering happens inevitably, or right now. You're not going to say, how could this happen? How could God let this happen? No, no, there's a hundred million reasons for why it's happening right now. But I know one that's not. It's not that he doesn't love us because he proves his love on the cross, dying for you and me. That's why I think a lot of times you don't understand when it says in, in the Gospels, when um, after his death, it said darkness covered the land. When it was finished, darkness was everywhere. Why? Because he put himself into that darkness. He, went, he became blind so that you and I could see and get the light into our souls. Won't you come to him? Just like Jesus took notice of this blind man and came after him when nobody else did, he's coming after you. If Jesus sought him out and received him, will you allow him to receive you today? You might feel alone. You might feel rejected. As Eric said earlier, maybe we're here just because we just want to be around other people because we haven't been. Let him be your light when all other lights go out. And by the way, all other lights will go out eventually. But not him. And if you do that, let me give you just two quick things that you can do with this. Practically speaking, let his light rest on you, which means you have to start with your own dark places, which means you have to start shedding light on those blind spots, which means you have to go to the truths of the gospel, the promises of the new hope, and see that change is possible, that you can actually, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, maybe this is all new for you, but either way, if his grace isn't real to you, you have to break out the pictures. Like, like my friend sent me that picture of him. You have to break out the pictures of who he is to, so that he will be real to you. Remember those, those things. Retrace his promises and go over them over and over and over again until your heart is aflame. And then lastly, then you can be a light to other people. If you knew your light will never go out, guess what? You're all of a sudden going to be able to extend yourself beyond what you thought you could do. Some of you are really tired and exhausted. I know I am. But if we let his light be our light, then you can hang on and you can help other people hang on. You can make it. You will make it. Don't give up. He didn't give up on you. Don't give up on your neighbors. Don't give up on other people. Don't give up on on this, this city because you can be a light to others. Use your time, your talents, your treasures. Find out that, that rubric for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's so hard, in particularly this part of town, where there's a lot of folks that have long resumes of what they've done and what they've accomplished. It's so hard to, to sit and, and when the world's saying we're a success, when the world is, is literally showing us that we're, we're successful. It's hard to admit and say we're not, that we're blind to ourselves and to others. We cannot receive your grace unless we know our need. And only then can, Father, we receive that grace, can we live it out. I pray that we won't have a thimble full of, of our need. We would have an Olympic-sized pool of it. Help us to see that that's the case. 
and you filled it before we even asked for it. And that just changes everything. <coughs> Father, we're tired. We're exhausted. This is still ongoing. We're, we're, we're going into winter with a loss of light, but we know where our light can be found. Help us to see and to experience this anew. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.